In the passage that is before us this morning, we discover that Jesus is a very divisive figure. People are quite divided about Jesus and the claims that he makes. Either he is the Son of God and should be worshipped, or he is not the Son of God and he is a charlatan and a great deceiver. And depending on where you fall on your response to Jesus as to whether he is the Son of God and the Savior or not the Son of God and a deceiver is going to have a tremendous impact on your life and the way that you relate to other people. You either accept or reject the notion that Jesus is the one and only Savior. This morning, we're going to consider what it means to identify with Jesus. Our theme is that identifying with Jesus is to take top priority in all aspects of our lives. Identifying with Jesus is to take the highest priority in every aspect of life. First, making Jesus a priority in our public life. Choosing between the approval of Jesus and the approval of men. As I said, people fall into two camps. Those who acknowledge allegiance to Christ at the expense of allegiance to others, those who people accept Christ and are saved. Look with me at Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. So the one class of people are those who publicly own and identify with Jesus Christ. Those individuals, Jesus says, that he will acknowledge before his Father who's in heaven. That means those are the ones for whom he will intercede. Those are the ones for whom he will plead. Those are the ones that, in fact, are going to be saved. The second category of people are those who have allegiance to others at the expense of having allegiance to Christ. These are people who reject Christ and are lost. Verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So either people choose to identify with Jesus at the risk of experiencing the wrath of individuals, or those that want to identify with their fellow man at the risk of identifying the wrath of Almighty God. The apostles regularly had to choose their allegiances. 
in Acts chapter 5, verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, that is the apostles, they stood them before the council. And the high priest and priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than man. That basic principle, that is, identifying with Jesus despite the cost, is the crux for all that follows in this passage. So that brings us to the second point. Making Jesus a priority in our personal life. Choosing between Jesus and, in this instance, family. The importance of choosing Jesus over family is given to us in verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's not an absolute choice. It's not loving the one and failing to love the other, but a comparative choice. Loving me more than you love your husband or daughter. When I say comparatively, it is a vast difference, however. For we read elsewhere in Scripture that unless a man hate his father and mother and love me, doesn't mean it in a literal sense, but the love that we are to have for our God and for the Lord Jesus Christ is to be so great that in comparison, it almost looks like hatred. We are to be so committed to Jesus Christ. Why, one might ask, would we be in a situation in which we are torn in our allegiances? Why can't we love our family wholeheartedly and love Jesus wholeheartedly? Why the discrepancy? Verse 36. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Allegiance to Jesus can be divisive within a family. Look at verse 35. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That division can run pretty deep and be quite startling. For notice verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Look back to verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Jesus, by his very nature and person, is divisive. There are those who accept Jesus... And there are those who oppose Jesus. And those who oppose Jesus, not only oppose Jesus, but all those 
who identify with him. Jesus said in verse 34, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now again, that has to be understood in context. For one might ask the question, what do you mean that Jesus did not come to bring peace? For peace is invariably associated with Jesus and his coming. All the way back to Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He came to be the Prince of Peace. We have that great angelic announcement. Lo, the angels, uh, excuse me, lo, the shepherds were abiding in their field, watching their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude in the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. That with coming of Christ, there was peace. The opportunity to reconcile with God and reconcile with one another. Jesus had sent his disciples with a message of peace. Look at Matthew 10, 13. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. So here Jesus is sending out his disciples. If those people receive Christ, then their peace is to remain. If they reject Christ, the peace will not remain. The fault lies not in God nor in the gospel, but rather in those who vehemently reject the gospel. Those that vehemently reject the gospel. It is in that instance that Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace. It is not peace at any cost. So let's read verses 35, 36, and 37 together. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Worthy is a key word in understanding this passage. It is essential to understand, to define, to determine what is meant by worthiness. And fortunately, the word is defined in the passage itself. Look at verse 
11 of Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Let me give you the whole context. Let's start at verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts. No bag for your journey nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is unworthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. Now we find out what is meant by that. Verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet. So the people who are unworthy are the people who reject the message, the words of the apostle. They are people who reject the gospel. People who don't believe in the gospel message. An unworthy person is a person who does not receive Jesus or heeds his word. Very important that you keep that in context. Not all families are going to be divided because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. He's not saying that in every instance that man is going to be against his wife or wife is going to be against his her husband or a son against their father or a daughter against their mother. I would submit to you that it's not even in most instances. It's not even common. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us that it's not even common for the apostles. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Paul's writing. And in the context, he's justifying his apostleship. But almost as an aside, he says this. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So the other apostles, Paul says, have believing wives, as does Peter, as do the brothers of Jesus. They have believing wives. And according to 1 Corinthians 9, those wives traveled with the apostles. Do we not have the right to take them along, as do the other apostles? So here we see that for the vast majority of the apostles... It did not create division in their families. Even devotion to the level that was manifested among the apostles, it did not create divisions. For their wives were supportive. They went along. They encouraged them. 
They were glad for them. Many of us this morning have husbands, have wives who love the Lord and are very supportive of our commitments to Jesus Christ. Many of us have the blessing of believing children who, again, are very supportive of our faith and gladly go to church with us and worship with us. However, it is not always the case. There are exceptions. And some in this room may be well aware. Maybe some in this room are experiencing those exceptions where their wife is not happy that they are serving the Lord. A husband is not happy that their wife thinks that they should be tithing to the church. Parent, children may not be grateful for growing up in a Christian home. It is in those instances that Jesus says, I'm going to be divisive. Because it's going to require an allegiance to Jesus Christ that may make home life somewhat difficult. But we are to honor Jesus above our family. That should be striking. It certainly would have been striking to this audience. For in the Old Testament, there was only one allegiance that was higher than allegiance to your family. There was only one allegiance that was more important, deeming faithful and good to your family. That one allegiance was to God himself. We are to have no other gods before him, and we are to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Jesus, in saying to us that we are to love him more than we love our spouse and our children, is not to degrade our love for our spouse and our children, but rather to elevate our love for Jesus. For in so claiming, Jesus is making himself equal with God. In that claim, Jesus is saying, I'm God, for you are to love me more than you love your family. It's rather shocking. How does this work out practically? Let me give you a passage in Scripture in the Old Testament where we can see this in a rather graphic way. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2.
at verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting to read at verse 12. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless. That's a tough appraisal. They were worthless. They were good for nothing. Now, why were they good for nothing? Answer, they did not know the Lord. Okay. Now, in the context, it's going to play out, okay, of what this good for nothingness looks like. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in its hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not except boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let, not, let them burn the fat first, then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They uh, treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They hated going to the uh, tabernacle to offer these sacrifices. Let's move on. Verse 27. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 27. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices, my offerings that I commanded, and, this word, honor your sons above me, by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Why do you honor your sons before me? These sons were terrible. We find elsewhere in the text that these sons would actually uh, have sexual intercourse with the women that came to offer sacrifices at, at the tabernacle. And Eli heard of it. But Eli did not remove his sons from the priesthood. And God said, why do you honor? Why do you show respect? Why are you committed to your sons more than you are committed to me? Sometimes we have to make some difficult choices in life. We are to choose God 
rather than choose family. We need to be careful as we say that. We have to be sure we're choosing God when we do that. But let me give you another example. Adam and Eve. The scripture teaches us that Adam was present when Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree from which uh, they were not to eat. Scripture says that Eve took and she ate, and then she gave to Adam, and he ate. Doesn't say it explicitly, but implicitly, it was at the urging of Eve. And not wanting to displease Eve, he chose to displease God. Tough situation. Jesus said, I haven't always called you to peace. Almost scares me, because there are so many caveats here of which you need to put boundaries on that. But on the other hand, It was meant to be scary. It was meant to be startling. It's to make us stand back and really think how important our allegiance is to Jesus. How much we are really to love him. And choose to identify with Jesus. Third, making Jesus a priority in our private life. Choosing between Jesus and one's own life. There is to be a willingness to identify with Christ and to shoulder There is to be a willingness to identify with Christ and shoulder any suffering or hardship that comes with it as seen in the metaphor of taking up one's cross. Matthew 10, 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take up your cross. The blessing associated with self-denial, verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what in the world does that mean? The appeal is not to gloom, but to discipleship. There is a strong paradox here. Those who lose their physical life, whether in actual martyrdom, or disciplined self-denial will find it in the age to come. Those who find, that is, try to win or preserve their physical life by living for themselves and refusing to submit to the demands of Christian discipleship, lose it in the age to come. There is a choice. The choice is living for God or living for self. 
If you want to live for self, if you want to preserve your life, if you want to preserve your independence, if you want to do your own thing, it's going to end up in your spiritual death. But if you are willing to live for Christ, it's going to mean giving up things now, pleasures, desires, and ease, but the result is eternal life. Now let me tell you a story, true story, of my children. And I get it wrong who was who in this story, so I'm not going to say who is who because I get it wrong. Uh, I had two children. I have three children, but two children in this particular story. And we'd had family devotions, and uh, after devotions, the kids went upstairs, and uh, they shared a bunk bed. They shared a room. And I heard one of my children, that was probably about five years old, witnessing to their sister, that would have been either two years younger or two years older. Uh, I think they were five and three. That's who I think the story's about. But anyway, they're in their room. And the five-year-old was being the evangelist, saying why it was that their little sister should accept the Lord. And now we're talking five and three, okay? Talking little kids here. And... The older one was saying to the younger one, you need to accept Jesus as your Savior because if you don't, you're not going to heaven. You want to go to heaven because mommy and daddy are going to be in heaven. I'm going to be in heaven. You're going to be all by yourself. You don't like being by yourself. You cry when they're away. Okay, We're going to be in heaven. You're going to be in hell. You know what hell is like? This week, you burned your finger. They did. You burned your finger this week. It's going to be burning your whole body. All the time. It's going to be like, I'm sitting at the door listening to this. Okay? I'm thinking I'm going to have a child that is going to be marred for life. I'm going to have to go through intensive counseling with this child. Okay? But I just had to listen to where all this was going to head. So she's painting this picture of now being in hell and burning and and all of this. And at the end, she said, do you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? To which her younger sister said no. Blew me away. After saying you're going to be away from father and mother, you're not going to have this, you're going to be be in hell, you're going to burn all, and they said no. I thought, what in the world would ever prompt her to say no? I was concerned about a, you know, a uh, profession of faith that wasn't genuine. I was concerned this wasn't a work of the Spirit. This was just purely manipulation. And, you know, I was going to have to deal with all that. And then it blows me away because none of that happens. They say no. So I called her out of the room, and we sat on the floor, and I said What made you say that you didn't want to accept Jesus as your Savior? 
Her response to me was this, because then I would have to do what he tells me to do. Boy, is that the heart of rebellion? A three-year-old that was tired of having people tell her what to do. And she said, I don't want to accept Jesus because I don't want him to tell me what to do. There are adults who don't want to accept Jesus because it means telling them what they have to do. There are adults that will dislike you because you're telling them what Jesus tells them they have to do. Your spouse may not appreciate it when you tell them what Jesus tells them you have to do. A child may not appreciate their parents when their parents tell them what Jesus tells them they have to do. This passage teaches us we don't get to choose. We don't get to choose. We don't get to change the message. We don't get to say, well, not everybody likes it, so everybody's going to heaven. That's what our world wants to hear. And if you say that, you're in the clear. If you say that, you're not going to be bothered, not going to be persecuted. If you just simply say, in the end, everybody's going to be saved. But unfortunately, we don't get that choice. And be true to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father but by me. That's what he said. And if we're going to be true to Jesus, we have to say that. It's unpopular to think that other people who worship a God, such as Allah or something else, are lost. But that's what the Bible says. That's problematic. That's divisive. If you go to work and you start talking to your fellow employee and you say that unless a person trusts in Jesus Christ and is born again, they don't have eternal life. If that person rejects it, it can be divisive. You don't get to change the message. I think most of us get that. You don't get to change the message. Let me tell you option number two that you don't get. You don't get to be quiet for the sake of peace. You don't get to shut up because it might create problems. You don't get to say, you know, if I pray at Thanksgiving, Aunt so-and-so, or uncle such-and-such may be annoyed, offended, 
Even though that's our normal practice, even that's what we do as Christians, we always pray at our meals. We're not going to pray at Thanksgiving because we don't want to upset them. We don't get to say, my brother, you know, they're, they're, they're not, he's not really interested in the things of the Lord. I don't want to create issues with my brother. I'm not going to make them feel uncomfortable. I just won't bring up Jesus around them. It's not one of the options. Now, keep it in context. Obviously, I'm not talking about ramming things down people's throats. I'm not talking about being obnoxious for the sake of being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being relentless. I'm not talking about being overbearing. I am simply saying that at some point and some time, we have to be sure that people know where we stand and they know where they are in their eternal destination depending on whether or not they have trusted in Christ. It's not peace at all costs. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, allegiance to me can be divisive. It can be problematic. It can cause problems publicly in identifying with Jesus. Some people are going to turn you off. Some people are going to applaud you, depending on where they are in their relationship to Jesus Christ. It can cause problems privately. It can cause problems in your own home. It cause problems between husband and wives. <clears throat> That's why, young people, it is extremely important that you marry a godly individual. Not just a Christian, that's bottom line, but a person very committed to Jesus Christ. They're going to be supportive, they're going to welcome, they're going to be on the same page, heading the same direction. There are so many times in life in which tough choices have to be made that if the two of you together are willing to follow the scriptures, the will of God, what a blessing that is. But when you're paired up with someone who is unwilling, how difficult that can be. So marry someone who knows the Lord. But what about, you say, but I wasn't saved when I got married, and I got saved afterwards. Well, the scripture says stay in that marriage. Continue to deal with the difficulties and hardships. But, but, Don't suffer the idea of having peace at any cost. Don't try to be divisive. Don't try to be difficult. But when it means choosing ultimate allegiance to Christ or to the family, Jesus says, I come first. But even more significantly, and where it really begins, is allegiance to Christ is more important than my own personal 
happiness, or well-being. We live in a culture that says there is nothing more important than to be happy. In fact, we have an American evangelicalism that says that God's highest priority for you is to be happy. And God would never want you to be unhappy. That's just a lie. God's highest priority for you is that you be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus knew a lot of unhappy days. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He hung upon a cross to do the will of the Father. And he had to choose between the crowds and God. He had to choose between his own brothers who did not believe in him and God. And he had to choose between his own life. And he said, Father, if it be possible for this cup to pass from me, let it pass. But if not, let me do thy own will. And he chose God. And so the metaphor is, take up your cross. Take up your cross. That's not a metaphor for happiness. That is a metaphor of willingly sacrificing ourselves to God. Our sinful desires. I say to you this morning, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I would think that most people in this room, though I don't know everyone, I would think that most people in this room have heard the gospel, know what it means to trust in Jesus, know that Jesus is the Son of God, know that he came to die for our sins, know that he not only died but rose again, is seated at the right hand of God and one day is coming again and will judge this world. Scripture teaches all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And that we need a Savior. And that the one and only Savior is Jesus Christ. All we need to do is trust in him, believe in him. Ask him to forgive us our sinfulness, our disobedience, our self-centeredness. And trust in him to deliver us from our sin. And you can have eternal life. So my question to you this morning is, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, why not? What are you making more important in your life than trusting in Jesus? What to you is of greater value than publicly confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And without knowing what it is, and without knowing why it is, the one thing I can say to you with absolute certainty is, it's not worth it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. 
But whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Trusting in Jesus as your Savior is more important than what people think, than what your family thinks, or in what inwardly, privately, you hold to be of greatest value and importance. Identify with Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father, I pray for any who are gathered here this morning who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. May this day be a day in which they are ready to publicly acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior, not caring about what people think, not caring about what a family member might think, and not even caring about their own desire to live sinfully or independently of you. O Lord, may we see that there is nothing as important as identifying with Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.